Hey guys, Avery Carl from The Short-Term Shop here. I wanted to welcome you into our 10 episode deep dive on the Outer Banks and Carolina Beach, but also to let you know that we have some supplemental materials to this on our website for you guys. It's called theshorttermshop.com. And there we have a section where you can look at properties in these markets, see what the current purchase prices are. You can set it up to save a search for you and email you anytime a new property in those markets in your price range comes out. We also have the AirDNA data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA for this market. So you can use those two things to analyze. We've got a calculator for you there too, to help tie it all together. And if you guys are ready to maybe start talking to an agent in this market, you can email us at agents at the shop.com and we will connect you to our expert agents in this market. Or maybe you're not ready to do that, but you just want to hang out with us more. And that's cool because we want to hang out with you too. And we have a Facebook community where you can do that. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth, same title as my book. And it's just a community of 60,000 of our closest friends who are sharing best practices and just kind of hanging out with other real estate investors. So it's pretty cool. And we hope to see you over there. And last but not least, if you have questions, you want to talk to a real person like myself, it will be myself actually and Luke. Uh, we have an open office hours every Thursday, and you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. And you can ask us any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. But now we'll get to the episode. Short-term show special episode. This is um, the beaches of North Carolina, multiple beaches, basically the entire coast. And we're talking Outer Banks and Carolina Beach and uh, everything all the way down basically to Murray. So uh, lovely to have you guys. Let's let's start there. Maria, uh, what's going on out there uh, in the middle of the ocean? Did you say Meg? Is that Meg or Joe? Yes. Meg, Meg, what's going on out here? We are having a fantastic summer. Um, getting a lot of great feedback from, from owners who've bought with me in the past. Um Keeping busy. Be- beautiful weather this week. We've had some nice wind. It's hot, but the wind is has been blowing some nice breeze, and the ocean's actually cool. Joe, is the ocean? It's well, it's going to be warmer where you are slightly, but we've I've been getting reports that the ocean's a little bit chilly, but that's a good thing on a hot day. You want to hop into the cold ocean? Nice. Yeah, I'm Joe Prillman down here in the Carolina Beach Market, um, home of the warm water. Um, we don't have the cold water. <laughs> That uh, Meg has apparently. So if you want to be warm while you're surfing, um, hop down here. Um, excited to be here. I love this topic. Talking about numbers, we're gonna have a blast. Um, but yeah, guys, the uh, season's rocking and rolling. Um, had a pretty good run so far, and excited to see what's going on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is there a surf? Is there a surf in your? Uh, can I can I surf in your area? Okay, so it's nowhere close <laughs> to as good as Meg's surf. Um, <laughs> they, it's we like have international surf yeah, competition. Meg has like it. the best surf in the world, and so no, it's not. You can <laughs> surf here. I try to do it every week, and you, uh, you, we, I fail miserably. I do a lot more paddling than I do surfing. Really? You go out, um, out there on the board and everything. Yeah, man, I go out there on the board. What do you think I do down here? I live at the beach. I live at the beach. Yeah, we don't we don't have waves where I live, but uh, I was just in San Diego and everybody was surfing. So is it? it I that, I'm fascinated with that. Uh, fly out here. I'll, I'll get you on a board, man. We'll have a blast. How long? I mean, what is it? It's a, how okay. If I'm going to go out there, how much time of my day do I need to dedicate to that? You need to dedicate. It's like that one person who loves golf and they'll like chase that feeling the rest of their life. That's surfing, man. You just, yeah. you got to dedicate your entire life to it. You're not going to be out there for an hour. It's going to consume you. 
But it seems like these guys, you know, I go run, right? And so I was, I was in the dark and these guys were already out there and, or at least getting ready anyway. And, and it seemed like they, I mean, they must have jobs. San Diego, I, I was just there. It's freaking expensive. So they have to have jobs of some sort. So are they, are, do you go before work? Oh yeah. You get out there dawn patrol, man. That's when the, uh, the wave's the best. It's whenever it's like just the sun's starting to rise and the oh. wind hasn't gotten on it yet. It's nice and cr- like crystal clear and smooth and glassy and, um, if we do have waves, which we don't have a ton of them down here, but we do get them. Um, nothing like Meg, but if they're out there, yeah, man, we're, uh, we're tearing it up. And we got real deal surf. You broke we, up there, but yes, I, I've got a legit surfboard. Me- I don't, you, I don't have, surf you have real surfing in your market. We have real surfing in my market. And actually uh, here you want to have a West wind because that wind pushes the waves up higher um, they don't collapse quite as quickly. Um, it does bring the black flies when you have a really strong west wind, but um, they're not here. Wait, also. wait, wait, hold on. Wait, wait, what do you mean? What does that mean? When the when you house? have that west wind, it can it. There are some areas that it will kind of blow those biting flies that are awful, but it's very very good for surf conditions. So you want that wind kind of pushing the wave because it it stabilizes it before it falls, so you actually get a longer ride. Is my understanding? I'm. Let me. Let me. I should preface this by saying I'm not a surfer, <laughs> but oh, I do sure. live in a surf community, and um, and this is what I hear. But yeah, we've got. You know, our shoals are always kind of moving, so the surf spots. You know, they're always kind of changing, and there's like a underground language of like where to go and the the good spots. But um, yeah, it's a we are we are a big time international surfing destination for sure. Okay, cool. All right, and John Bianchi's here. He's a numbers junkie. Uh, you know, what do you say? Uh, where do you live? And have you ever been surfing? I've definitely been surfing. I love surfing. I don't do it all the time, though. So it's it's one of those things where, like, whenever I can get there, I'll go do it. I had a cousin that surfed, and he taught me that early in the morning is when the water's nice and glassy. You get out there. Anyways, I like to surf when I can. But, um, but yeah, so I live in Canada. I actually live in a small beach town as well. We don't have any waves, though, at all, <laughs> unless it's, like, a super windy day. No surf conditions. I don't know why we're talking so much about surfing, but... <laughs> we all live in a beach town, so I guess that makes sense. But uh, anyways, I, um, I'm i the Airbnb data guy. All I do is live and breathe Airbnb data. I'm the head of data for TechFester. Uh, I have a couple of free courses as well out on YouTube. And uh, I have a software coming out pretty soon around Airbnb data. And all I do is live and breathe Airbnb data. So that's me. Cool. All right. That's what we're talking about today. Look about uh, numbers in general. How do we figure out how much money it's going to make? Um, do you, who wants numbers? Uh, let's, uh, let's start with like uh, size of house versus gross income, I guess. Does anybody want to throw some uh, numbers at us? Oh man. Um, I mean like just taking it right off the gate, what I typically see. And so I'm, I'm really excited for, uh, to hear John's perspective on all this, because what mm. I typically see with the larger beach houses is it really depends on the individual beach town that you're in, but just as a general blanket, we're going to throw it out there. If you're buying a property, that's a four bedroom plus. Um, at least two bath, you're going to generate somewhere between 75,000 all the way up to about 125,000 gross, depending on the individual beach town. And um, access to the beach is still super important. And so I've got different individual beach markets where the gross income is higher or lower, but it depends on that. And so that's kind of the general blanket if we got to throw some numbers out there. Hmm. I, uh, so you guys are going to know way more than me. And I, I was just studying this market all morning data wise to try to like understand it. And so I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, but this market seems like there's a lot of nuances to it. Now, I mainly looked at the Outer Banks area and I can tell there's a lot of these different little beach towns all the way up and down the coast, right? 
And mm. uh, I saw that some of like the more expensive ones would have been, let me just pull it up real quick so I can list them off. It's going to say, uh, so Kill Devil Hills and like Kitty Hawk seem to be like where you'd get these like really expensive kind of markets or, or homes. But then there's homes doing well all the way down the coast, but then the homes start to get cheaper as you get to these like smaller kind of markets. And almost felt like that's where you would start to see the uh, the better cash flow in those areas. If cash flow was like your main goal. I don't know. So that's the, my take. Yeah. My experience is that those more southern beaches, they're a little bit trickier to get to. And then like the much more northern beaches, um, they're not going to get quite as much occupancy. But honestly, you are going to see a change in your price point, though. You know, you'll get be able to find something, you know, in Salvo, you know, that for, let's say, $750,000, it's going to cost you closer to a million on in that Kitty Hawk, Kill Devil Hills area, because there's so much more access. Um, you know, for here, there's so much deviation on um, price points and, you know, what you're going to have to put back into the property just because the ages of the houses, you know, this is generations worth of of people who have been living and visiting the outer banks um you know who's updating the properties and who's just taking the cash and then they're dumping you know these used properties that that need a lot of work so it's a mixed bag but i do like joe's numbers and i would say that that's 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 going to be comparable here you know if you're offering you know a, a decent house with nice amenities i'm you know in the four bedroom i'm i'm going to agree you're gonna, you're looking at you know 70 70 to 120 so it's quick fun. question on that. Meg, Meg, which which market is yours and Joe, which market is yours? And then I got a follow-up question. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is a really great question. question. No, that is great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So well, we I'm just, covering, yeah. we're covering what I, we're calling the Carolina Beach market. So it's everything okay. that's from Atlantic Beach all the way down to Ocean Isle. So I'm covering everything that's not the Outer Banks. So all okay. the data that you ran yeah. um, has nothing to do with my beaches. Well, I did. <laughs> so I did look into specifically Carolina Beach, and I have like a quick okay. take on that as well. But I got obsessed with the uh, with OBX. I kind of got like into the. Weeds. I love it. So I so love it. Tough here, like yes. Yeah. So You're- I'm Meg Minitry. I'm uh, the Outer Banks agent for the short term shop. Gotcha. Okay. So um, now I have like an understanding of who's quite who I get to ask the questions. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm so um, glad you jumped into the CB data though, because that's where all my personal investments are. So we're gonna right. throw it against the wall. Perfect. Right. So you're looking at Joe's houses. Perfect. Yeah. It, it, Pretty it's, much. I, you're Carolina Beach. You're saying right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I've got yeah, ten units perfect. on Carolina Beach. That and I got six so, units on Curry Beach. Gotcha. Okay. Carolina Beach actually seemed like way more straightforward in comparison to OBX. If I from a data perspective, it seemed like there was a lot of. Um, uh, consistency in the data, uh, like a very standard sort of type of home. It seemed like a more built up town in comparison to a lot of like the OBX area. And so it, it created some more consistency from what I was seeing. And then it seemed like there's a lot of uh, duplexes, like side by sides, right? Or even mm-hmm. triplexes and whatnot. And it seemed like yep. that's where there was a good amount of opportunity because obviously from what I was seeing, the people that are making the most money had the pools and were on the waterfront, but then where you would I would see some people making like a decent amount of money uh, would be on like half of a a duplex, right? Like that one, a three bedroom could be making like 75,000. And uh, obviously the other half could be making 75,000. And then it seemed like the property itself did not cost a crazy amount. So it looked like a good cash flowing opportunity. Is that? Wow. What's you literally name? just laid out, you just laid out my entire investment strategy for All the right. world. <laughs> That's nice. incredible. Uh, nice. Like I buy like a um, small multifamily properties that since I didn't have the um, capital to buy oceanfront or second row with large pools, I was buying single family homes with ADUs or duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, and then turning them into multiple units. And you can then like run the whole thing as one big one, or you can do all the individuals. So that's 
to the T my investment strategy. Yeah, it's, wow. it's it seemed like the where the money was best for cash flow, right? Just based off of uh, price to rent ratio, right? The amount of revenue compared to the purchase price. So that's pretty cool. But OBX was far more interesting. So here's here's a, a quick question for you. Um, when you talk about like a four bedroom and make it around the amount uh, that you were talking about there, Meg, like 75 to 100, I think it was. Uh, sure. Was that like roughly, was that specific to a certain location? Was that specific to um, waterfront or to having a pool or to anything along those lines? Yeah. So I'm thinking when you're, when you're looking at those and again, from Corolla to Nags Head, I'm just going to pick those five, the five townships that I've been really with, with Avery. We really did identify the five, which is Corolla, Duck, Kitty Hawk, Kill Double Hills and Nags Head. So when you're looking at those five, you know, my my goal, um, if it's in the buyer's budget, is to basically stay to the east of the bypass. So depending on how wide the island, the, the barrier island gets at that point, is you know, those are gonna run east to west. You may be further back. And that's why you're probably seeing a lot of variation because we don't have just oceanfront, semi-ocean, and third row. I mean, we've got more than fifth row. Uh, that mm-hmm. will get you to the bypass. Um, and then of course you have these homes that are, have been built, you know, over the decades, which I'm sure that that's the, probably the same in Carolina beach as well. Um, I am curious um, how far back the air DNA data goes for the outer banks, because, because we are such, I mean, we are a tourist destination um, the property management companies. I mean, that's a really big industry here. And I am of the mind that the the self-managers, that's kind of a newer thing, like maybe in the last like five to eight years that that really started. Um, are you are you seeing that? Is that maybe what's maybe throwing your numbers a little bit? Um, most of the data I'm looking at is just from the past 12 months. Okay. So it's it's just the past 12 months. And like most, the I think the furthest back that data has been tracked for short-term rentals is about six years, like okay. max. So there's no, there's no one tracking the data prior to that on a, on a mass scale anyways. Um, but yeah, most of everything I'm looking at is like 12 months back. So what I, what I got, like I got into the weeds about um, was I was trying to figure out if I bought a property on the waterfront, would it do significantly better than if I bought a property off the waterfront, but had a pool? And you know what I mean? Because it seems like those would be your almost two different combinations, right? Is it? And then would it be cheaper to buy a home that was off the water that had a pool in comparison to buying a property that was on the water, right? Without a pool. Um, The interesting thing was that the revenue actually wasn't that much different for a waterfront property in comparison to a non-waterfront property with a pool, right? And I mean, in my opinion, I'm taking a beachfront property all day, but apparently people are willing to pay roughly around the same amount to get a property off the water that had a pool. And so, and then the other interesting thing was that the home prices between those two, that's where it got really confusing because there's so many variations where you can find like a $2 million home. And then down the street, there's like a a million dollar home. And there's, you can hardly tell the difference between the two, but there is a difference. Right. Um, But the, and then on top of that, there wasn't a crazy amount of homes with pools, but there still was a decent amount. So I think if I sort of summarize all that, I would I would probably want to actually try and find a property off the water with a pool. That would be like sort of the first area that I would attack. And then the second area would be off the water, no pool. Because I I was that actually intrigued me probably more than anything was that I was finding a decent amount of properties that were doing around $100,000 that were off the water and had no pool. So mm-hmm. it's, I'm always trying to find like, what's the most efficient thing for you to buy here for cash flow and be able to like, continue to move forward. And that was what was kind of poking out as like the opportunity. And the bedroom counts were all over the place. I was looking at like two, three, fours, and fives. 
across all the homes doing the best in that area. That's anyways, I'm not sure if that made sense what I just said, but do you have any like thoughts on what I just said? No, it actually makes great sense to me. And I'm really glad to hear someone else say it because, you know, people are like, I just want to know, like, what am I going to make? I mean, if I'm going to spend a million dollars, how much am I going to make a year? And it's like, man, there's so many variables that go into that answer, you know, and they want me to just spit out numbers. I'm like, you know, we got to go through it. You know, you're going to have to do enemy method. You're going to have to play with this stuff. It's got to be massage. Like I can't just throw numbers out um, because there really are, um, (laughs) there are so many, there are so many things that go into it that, that, you know, do need to be worked through and considered. And, you know, those amenities and the features of the properties and, you know, does it have an elevator? And, you know, basically everything that you just described is, is I agree yep. with everything. Wait, that wait, you wait just, a minute. Is the elevator common? Um, in the newer homes, they are common. Yes. Um, and in the bigger homes, when you, cause you know, when you start having multiple families, multi-generational families that are coming, you know, you want to be able to have an elevator in the bigger houses, obviously the bigger houses are going to have them. You're getting your groceries up and down. You're not making 50 flights up and down, you know, um, I, I'm not sure. I can't speak to for Joe, but um, here on the outer banks, your standard build is actually a reverse floor plan and your kitchen's on the top floor. Mm. Your bedrooms are in the middle floor and then like your game rooms, your pool area, you know, all of that's going to be down on the ground floor. So you're hauling groceries up two or three levels. Um, you know, and if you're, you've got a six or nine bedroom house, that's a lot of stuff to be carrying. So yes. Is there a purpose do. for that? Why do they do that? Just because it's uh, easier to shuffle the people in and out and sleep downstairs. And then maybe you go up to the kitchen or any idea why they do that? I think they like to just keep the hangout spaces separate from, from, you know, and you typically will have like the owners, the owner suite will also be up on the top floor um, with the kitchen area. But basically I think they keep like the, and then you have, you know, if you have the game room on the, on the first floor, just to kind of keep the noise down. And that really there's just one section that is just, that's where your bedrooms are or on that floor. When this you're looking at too. the multi-level properties. They're all about so that do, view. And so up do there. you guys have, is, are you reverse floor plan? Are you all? Yeah, we're, we're reverse, yeah. reverse floor plan, especially for our new constructions. But um, I. Uh, yeah, it's because the, the bedroom's not necessary for view as much as the hang out and drink your beer room, right? Absolutely. And, um, but uh, John, I've actually got a, a couple thoughts on it because um, as different as our markets are between uh, the Outer Banks and the ones that I'm covering, we also have more similarities than not. And so a lot of the things that you are hitting on, I see across the board um, with the different clients I'm working with, where you can have a property that's two rows back with easy beach access, no pool, and you're still generating 100, 125,000 gross. And it's really, it, it dials into the how you manage it and how you're pushing it. So I have a theory that North Carolina is about 10 years behind all the trends of where all the trends start in California, they end here in North Carolina mm-hmm. of like pools, um, like setting your properties up so that they're um, themed, things like that. Yeah. And so I see a lot of people who have a bunch of success with really normal homes because they're really driving it towards the people who are going for the beach. It, so, is that similar to what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, yes. And uh, what you essentially what you're referring to is the fact that the listings are not spectacular, amazing, beautiful, perfect listings. If, if yeah, I'm we're not very good at it. No, if I, that was actually going to be the next thing I was going to bring up, especially. Well, so in Carolina Beach, they're a lot better than they are in, in OBX. In OBX, it was like every single listing I was looking at was taken with an iPhone and they went they decided to take it out of focus and then take the photo. You know what I mean? It was just like the the listings themselves were subpar in comparison to what they could have actually been doing. Now, Carolina Beach did have some like some good listings, listings that I would look at and be like, they're maximizing the amount of revenue that they can make from that home through the design, through the amenities and through the photos. Right. So I was like, 
this is really good to see. And those are the homes that I'm referring to where you can get like a three bedroom or a duplex that's a three bedroom on one side, three bedroom on the other side. And they're making around 75,000 because they're putting together these really good listings. But then in the OBX, it was like every single listing was not done to the max, not like really performing well on how it could be put together. Uh, and due to that, they're not maximizing the amount of revenue that they would end up making. Right. You need to and, go to education with Luke. Learn exactly. how to better. Well, but that's a good thing. I mean, that's the whole point. You need it's to buy with us I mean, and, and go to Luke and, and learn. Well, yeah, but you could come in and smoke everybody. I mean, but yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like that everywhere though. You go to the smokies where there's a million people that know exactly what, uh, you know, price slabs is and they still suck, you know? So yeah, that's uh, Come hang out with us here on the podcast and uh, and you get your get get rocking and rolling. But anyway, thank you, Meg. Go ahead, John. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, that's that's essentially it. It, it creates for a lot of opportunity, right? And uh, I just I just see it as one of these markets that has like more than others, right? Where it's like you if you can come in and put together a really strong listing, you have even more opportunity than if you were to go to like Scottsdale, which has just like some of like the best listings. And what I always tell people is find a market that's similar to the market that you're in that is a one like a stellar market, right? Kind of like a Scottsdale is a, is a really good market and see what you can pull from that to your market. Now, I don't know what would be like a great example for this, but maybe like the Panhandle would be a good example because the Panhandle does have some really, really amazing, like great listings. Uh, and if you could steal some of the ideas from the Panhandle and bring it over to the Carolinas, I think you could uh, find some amenities and design and features that are thriving over there that could likely thrive where you guys are, are as well. Joe, Joe, are you seeing that? I mean, you're living and breathing this all day. You've got a ton of units right there on the beach. Uh, are you, uh, do you even look at your enemies anymore? Or are they all just, you know what I mean? And you're rolling your eyes at them. What's the deal? So it's interesting because everything John is saying is like to the T for Carolina beach. Like we have a ton of just like rock star competition moving in where they've, um, they're doing what I did whenever I got started. I found the best person and I copied everything they did and tried to make right. it better. And so they've taken mine and like, it's forcing me to up my game and continue to make mine better and better um, throughout that. So we're seeing that a lot here in Carolina Beach, but um, it's slowly starting to move into some of these other markets I'm covering. Like Ocean Isle, for example, is starting to go that way. At Ocean Isle, it used to be like you could throw anything up and you would absolutely crush it. Well, now the people who have the pools are doing better and the professional listings, like we're starting to see that creep into some of these other markets. And so you're all over it, but I do have a question, John. So the, and I'm so fascinated about this stuff, the oceanfront homes. So I see and hear rumors of some of these outliers where you have someone who steps in and does 250, 300,000 gross with a massive home that's like top notch. Did you see any outliers in your data? Because they're kind of the hidden rumors out there of like, hey, this person's absolutely killing it. And we don't see a lot of the oceanfront people who take it to that next level because they don't have to, because they book really well, even with a crappy product because they're right. oceanfront. So I'm curious if you see that. No. So no, I did not. I did not see anybody that was at, like when I went through everything. The highest that I saw was somebody making two hundred twenty three thousand, and he was oceanfront with a pool. That was like the magic. Comp- okay. That is the most magical combination you could possibly have to drive revenue, right? Um, but uh, n- no, I didn't. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so this is actually kind of lead me into the one thing I wanted to stress about was the fact that the data in this those markets is uh, a lot of it is bad. A lot of it is bad data, and it's due to the seasonality. And so it makes it really difficult to find things like what you just asked. Like, is there, are there really these really large homes that are absolutely crushing it? Um, even it's, it's, there's a lot of bad data in markets that are very, very seasonal, such as the, these Carolina beach markets and also like the panhandle where you're really only having peak season for about three to four, maybe five months. And then you're pretty well shutting down for the rest of the time. 
right? And the reason that the data shows up so poorly is because the algorithm is just tracking the listings on a daily basis, right? It goes into everybody's listing and it tracks it tracks the listing to gather their data. Well, when somebody pauses their listing, it's no longer tracking it and it has to restart. When somebody blocks off their calendar, it looks like a booking and it looks like they're making more money than they're actually making. And so when you're going through this data, one of the ways that I thoroughly check to ensure that it is good data is making sure there's a review every single month of the past 12 months. However, almost every single listing I was going through had almost no winter reviews. And so it looked like they were just shut off. So in other words, you wouldn't, you, it's hard to trust it when you don't know what's going on there and you don't know if the algorithm is actually tracking it properly or not. And so what I, the reason I'm going through all this is because I want to, I'm ch- trying to help people understand that if you're going to be looking into these markets and if you're going to be vetting the data, make sure you're really thoroughly looking through the reviews to ensure you have a full-time host there that you're looking at. But I cannot stress this enough specifically for this market work with people like you guys to actually understand the numbers from people who actually have listings there, whether you guys have them, or if you know other people that have them and where you have actual proof of those numbers, or if you can find a property management company that maybe manages like 20, 40, 30 listings and are willing to kind of give you a range of how much those properties will make that I cannot stress enough is what I would be doing. If I would be going into these markets to make sure I had my numbers, right? So I know you asked me, you know, about the large homes making 300,000, there's no data on it. And then that led me into explaining that the data is is kind of all over the place. It, it took me a lot to find good data in this market. Just throwing that out there. Sorry, that didn't directly answer it, but just- No, that's so interesting. That like uh, across the board of just like, it, it screams opportunity to me. Um, like uh, Luke, whenever you and I are chatting about like different investments we're looking at, like I'm always trying to go the direction that everybody else might be a little hesitant because they might not have the data. Um, I think it's brilliant. No, I agree. And I, and I also- you, know, you see a lot of these folks that are crushing it with the new, you know, the new fancy listings. But I've, I'm seeing a lot of those guys also still not make a ton of money. Uh, I had one the other day where the house was beautiful, totally re, re, you know, redone and had exactly what they needed to do with the muffin bar and all this other stuff. And their calendar sucked uh, because why? It all it, it, the, the numbers are number one always. Pricing is number one. Uh, figuring out how much it can make and what it should make is uh, is always most important. Um, I'm going to ask all three of you, I'll let ladies first, uh, what, what do you prefer as far as, um, for your personal properties, uh, when you're shopping, what, uh, metrics are you looking for to uh, decide whether you're going to buy it or not? I personally, I'm looking for the deals. I'm looking for properties that are like down to the studs. You know, I've bought properties that, um, bought a condo, the unit above flooded, the unit below, we hired our contractors, a good friend of ours. He came in, we gutted the entire place. You know, we bought a foreclosure. Uh, we've bought stuff on the auction steps. We've bought, we've bought lots of different, different ways. Um, but I like to make a property my own. For us, I have found um, that they they do well because we can get them for pretty cheap. A lot of people don't want to take that on. Um the market now is a little bit different. I'm actually getting a lot of people who come to me and say, hey, look, we'll take a project. So I think that that's growing. Um, I think those opportunities are, they still exist out there for people to come in and do that. You know, they can buy something for a whole lot less and fix it up. And then all of a sudden you have like a brand new built place, but we've done that a handful of times and it's, and it's been pretty great. Um, I also do like between the highways, not necessarily oceanfront, 
but not also up against the bypass. Although I will say I do, I do have one buyer who's on the bypass and he's, he's doing awesome. He's right there on the corner. Um, he's, but it's very walkable to the beach and, you know, they soundproofed it. It's when he bought it, it was soundproofed and it, it, it's, it's killing it. But that area in between, um, and it's called between the highways. Like that's an actual area here on the other banks. It's a, it's a great place. Like that's, that's where I'm looking. All right. Meg likes uh, value add. Joe, what are you looking for? I look for properties that nobody wants to manage. Um, so I look for all the ones where you can shove a ton of people into a small space. Um, the ones that are difficult from the operation standpoint, like I want 16 people in a quadplex with um, eight cars and 10 dogs. Like that's what I'm looking for. And I just like try to keep everyone from killing each other um, just because they maximize the uh, <laughs> income that they can generate. Um, but I, I like the weird ones, man. I like six unit motels. I like um, duplexes, quadplexes, triplexes. Um as many people as I can shove in there and uh, still give them a great experience. Do you? Uh, Those are do you- tough to find here. I will say that I, I and I love Joe that you do this and that you promote it. And man, they are they are far and few between. They are, but um, that's awesome though. Do you go to the properties? I mean, is is, is it like a front desk situation where you're, uh, you know, ha- helping them find a toothbrush and things like that? It it feels like that sometimes, but um, no, um, I, I set them up so that. Uh, it's fully remote. They're doing all for their phone. Um, but like it, uh, it can get a little hairy if you have a small parking lot and you've got, you know, 10 people showing up at the same time. So it's a, a lot of online communication, but, uh, we deal with it, but that's, uh, the one thing I have found Megan, some of the, the larger, more traditional beach houses is there's a lot of these homes that are set up as really large single family homes, but they have like a mother-in-law suite underneath. And so I would, in that situation, run the whole house as like one big short-term rental and then have two other listings running at the same time. So I can have like an ADU at the bottom for like couples and whatnot coming, which it's more my last minute booking stuff. So I wouldn't let it be open long-term, just multiple different ways to try and continually have revenue coming in. It's interesting. It's weird. I know I'm weird. All right. So uh, Joe does the clown car method of uh, (laughs) rental and uh, (laughs) stuff them in there, baby. Uh, I wouldn't want anything to do with that, but it's working for him. Uh, that's awesome. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm old school. I'll go and then I'll uh, ask John what he does. Uh, I, I just do enemy method. Really? No. I mean, it's no craziness with what I, what I do when I'm, I'm it's all yellow pads. It's all it is. Um, I sit there and study my neighbors and I say, okay, this guy's like literally the best guy in town. Let me figure out what he's got going on. How much do you know? How much can, can I do better than him? This is, this is what I can do better. This is what I can't. Um, and, uh, and I'll spend like four hours on it and, and just sit there with a yellow pad and scratch, scratch, scratch. And then I'll decide, okay, can I come back to this house or is it done? You know, um, it's a lot easier to rule a house out for me than it is to, uh, decide to spend more hours on it. But, um, you guys have all seen, uh, the enemy method videos. If you haven't, obviously the enemy method.com, if you want to check that out, um, no, no secret sauce for me. I'm pretty old school. Um, and I just, uh, uh, can I do better than this guy or can I not? And it seems like he's having success. So there we go. Uh, John, what's your favorite metric or maybe do you have one, uh, for this particular beach market? Uh, yeah. So, you know, working with TechMaster, uh, we buy differently than most people. Like we're buying for, we're buying homes that we, but that can cash flow, and we're, we're moving at speed and different things like that. So we are, you always using the 20% rule, which is the price to rent ratio. So we are looking for a home that, ha- uh, the revenue would be 20% of the purchase price. So if you're buying a million dollar home, it would need to do $200,000 a year. 
we're all about the the cash flow is like our most important metric that we're always looking looking for. And then of course we're always trying to find what is the inefficiency within a market, right? So like what's the most optimal thing to purchase um, within that market, which is kind of like what I've been talking about, where I'm not going to buy the waterfront one, or I'm not going to buy the one with the pool, but maybe I'll buy the one that doesn't have either of those things, and that, and then just make it an amazing listing and and really drive up the amount of revenue I can make from that because I bought it for a cheaper price. And so that's the way that we go and look for it, and we we use the enemy method uh, a lot. So we're 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 studying all of our competition. We're understanding exactly what amenities are driving the most revenue and and why, and then making sure we're adding all those into our property so that we can maximize the amount of revenue out of each individual home. Are you able to find on a regular basis a 20 percenter and is it in a vacation town? Because it seems that seems pretty steep to me. So not always in a vacation town. That's actually a really good point there. It's not always in a vacation town. Uh, Most of our markets are not vacation markets. And we're actually kind of uh, like as a good example, we're in this one market where the there's a there's a beach, right? So you got like the beach and and the beach would be where all the homes are and it's kind of on its own little island, but we're on the, the mainland, maybe like uh, 15, 20 minutes away from the beach. And that's where we find the most opportunity uh, because the homes would be cheaper, but people are willing to drive in uh, as long as they have a pool within that property. So it is very difficult to find a 20% or more difficult to find that 20% within a traditional vacation market. Um, and so we're not always buying within those markets, but there is opportunity to do that. We have bought uh, over 100 homes in the past 18 months, and they all have had to meet that metric of 20% to 30% within that range. Actually, yeah. true, 18% to 30%. You guys are doing a whole different thing, though. This is a fun exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, n- n- nobody that buys these is going to go stay in it or anything like that. Never. It's a whole different can of worms. Exactly. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm happy with uh, much lower than now, if I can find that deal, I'll take it all day. Uh, but, uh, yeah. uh you yeah. know, and, and probably seven years oh, yeah. ago, those deals were all over the place, but, uh, the times they are a changing, uh, and you know, um, okay, cool. So, uh, you're looking for uh, rent versus uh, purchase price, uh, basically, uh, in a percentage. Yep. Do you do cash on cash at all, or it's just basically it's all factors the same? It's just different math. Well, pretty well. So, so uh, the way okay, if you're if I'm doing it personally, what I'm looking for is a 10% cash on cash at my sort of my most confident revenue number. So, in other words, if I when I'm evaluating a property and I look at it, I'm like, okay, I feel 100% confident that this property can make hundred thousand dollars a year. It has the potential to hit 120. But I'm super confident uh, it will hit 100,000. Um, and at that number, I want that to be at least a 10% cash on cash at a minimum, right? Uh, with the opportunity to go a little bit higher. And that would be a gross minus cleaning fees, right? So uh, people get confused with, with that a lot because gross can be somewhat confusing in this business. So what you're referring to is uh, ba- basically gross with no cleaning fees at that 100 grand. Are you, are you saying cleaning revenue or cleaning? expense uh, either one in in general it'd be just basically gross rents okay so it would be so my revenue that hundred thousand number would include the nightly rate and the cleaning fee revenue okay and my yeah. purchase price on that property is how much it, for a hundred thousand it'd be five hundred thousand oh, so five hundred thousand yeah so so if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year it'd be a five hundred thousand dollar property okay. listen if you're listening to this be careful with that that is very unrealistic uh but it's possible it's possible um, Joe, give me some real numbers on your properties. I'm going to hit you over the head here real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, give me a size of a single family home and um, gross revenue, what you think you're going to make for 23, if you know that, or maybe what you made in 22. 
for my like clown houses or like my uh, <laughs> single family homes. Let's go with a single family home. You, you, got, you got a two bedroom hanging okay. around somewhere? I do. Um, so I've got a um, <laughs> clown home. I bought, see, I've been buying the clown homes more recently. And so yeah. like I've been doing multifamilies. And so um, the single family homes I bought were 2019 um but they were single family homes with adus um two bedroom one bath or two bedroom two bath and a all right bedroom, wait hold on you sep- you're renting them separately set two separate mm-hmm. listings okay yep two okay. separate listings so all all of my houses are clown homes <laughs> i'm getting at is uh, um i don't have any just the traditional like um freestanding ones like i've always bought duplexes and whatnot but oh. um typically out of a two bedroom um one bath i'll generate anywhere from 50 to 55,000 gross. Um, I've got a couple outliers. I've got one that does like 75,000, which is nuts. And then um, each one of those will have like another either one bedroom or two bedroom inside that property. So I typically take a single family home um, and one bedroom do anywhere between 35 and 50 typically for me. So I've got a single family home that does about 110, I'd say. Um, And I'm four blocks back from the beach. Um, And back in 2019, I paid 500 for it, but it's worth about 800 now. Got it. Uh, And Meg, you're doing more value add. It's a whole different thing for you. Your cash flow is probably the last thing on your mind. It's more net worth, really. Because when you're done with the house, it it looks really nice on a a personal financial statement. So thoughts there? Um, So we have done a multitude of projects. We've bought and sold um, we actually just converted our, our last Outer Banks short-term property to a long-term, actually. Um, it's a little different. Uh, if I didn't live here, everything we'd own, which is five properties, they would all be short-terms. Um, there's such a housing crisis here right now. And we had a, a friend that had a friend in need and, um, the timing worked out that we could actually convert it over. So as of right now, I do not have any short terms here on the Outer Banks, but our greatest um, appreciation that we've done over time and, and what generated the most revenue was absolutely the, the gut jobs that we rebuilt and then um, rented. Um, you know, and, and we had great, great uh, occupancy on all of those places. We had a condo down in Manio um, and we've had uh, a place you're actually on the west side that did really well. Yeah, but so in other words, you, you can rent that house you have long term because you are you you're you've already got your money out of it in the equity play on the yes. rehab. So mm-hmm. it's a whole different ball of uh, ball, ball of wax there for you. Uh, John, have you had any uh, advice for a noob coming into re- rental real estate in general uh in short term um how do I drive myself nuts, I guess. Let, let me let me ask you this way. Um, what, what am I looking for? Like, how do I even know if I want to buy this house or not? You know, uh, the 20% thing is super overwhelming and it's intimidating, you know, um, what, what, how do I know? Like, this is the one, let's go ahead and buy it. Uh, you have the way that I would, the way that I would feel confident with it is if I were to have five to 10 piece other properties. So that's sort of enemy method, but a, a grouping of them where you have about five to 10 other properties and you can see a consistency in the revenue. So, or, or some sort of pattern within the revenue. So what I mean by that is like, say you've got 10 listings and they're all doing somewhere between 75,000 and 100,000. Um, and if you were to review all of those listings one by one, you would be able to understand why one property is making 100,000 and then the other one's making 75,000. Like it's very clear what the differences are uh, in the size of the home, the location of the home, like the different features and amenities or maybe the design. You can see that it starts to get worse and worse as it continues to go down. And so if you are then looking at a home that you're about to purchase, 
you could look at it and be like, this home that I'm about to buy would fit right in the middle. It would likely make around 85,000 because it's better than this one doing 75,000, but it's not better than this one doing 100,000 because of X, Y, Z reason, right? And so then that gives you the confidence to feel that the home you're looking at, that you're about to purchase and put together as an Airbnb, you, you know where it's gonna fall within the range of that market because of all of its features. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah? Okay. Um, here's a trick that I'll do when I'm enemy methoding. I'll take, uh, and this is, I mean, this is not rocket science here. It's pretty much exactly what you should be doing. Just go through your enemies listing and pick 25 random dates. Add them all up, divide them by 25. There's your average nightly rate. Nightly rate. So it's as simple as that. You know what I mean? People think too hard about this shit. I think 10 is probably not enough of a, of a, a sample size. But 20, 25 numbers throughout the year, you know, January is going to really throw it off in, in this market. Uh, July is going to really throw it the other direction, but just 25, 30 random dates, divide them by 30. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, I, I mean, that's what I do. It's just it's that, you know. But, I'll be honest. My whole body is like, I'm like, that That scares the shit out of me. I'm not sure if I why? can swear. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's actually what I used to do when I first got started. And uh, I... And it, it didn't work well for me, I guess. That's what that's what made me such a, a freak over the data because I, I screwed up, right? And like, it didn't go well. And so I, I was like, it's got to be a better method. And then I, I just, I went oh, to- yeah, there, there is that. You got to have some confidence in uh, in whether that number is realistic or not, you know? So I'll give you that for sure. If you're just coming into this freaking cold and have no idea about anything and anything, and you just heard Luke on a right. podcast say, add up 25 numbers and divide it by 25, yeah. you could definitely screw yourself pretty hard. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, you, if you've been knee deep in podcasts and, and paying attention and have an AirDNA subscription, I do that all the time. I'm like, let me see what this guy's making. Let me see what his average nightly rate. Or I'll do it to myself, you know, right. or do it to somebody come to me and say, in other words, I'll do it the, the reverse way, you know, uh, where somebody will come to me and they'll say, Luke, I'm not getting enough bookings. And I'll go through their price, uh, their prices and pick 30 random prices and divide it by 30. And I'm like, do you really need, is this, because it's every single time. And Joe, I'm sure you see it too. They're priced too high. They're always priced too high. If they're not booked, if they're coming to me for help, they're priced too high. And so I'm like, okay, let's add up your prices and figure out what we're doing here for, you know, an average night. And and then really opens their eyes a little bit. But yes, John, I totally understand. Yes. Yeah. Be yeah. be aware that you can totally screw yourself if you don't have any experience and, and you're running numbers that way. Yeah. I just want to throw this out there to anyone who is newbie. I do have multiple free courses about Airbnb data on my YouTube channel. So if you're like, if you really want to get in the weeds of it, you can just go binge my courses and which other like a few, uh, quite a few thousand people have done. So that's my recommendation for anyone who's like truly new, trying to figure it out. You can do that. And then, and then once you've done that, then you can start adding up the random dates, the 25 dates and figure out the ADR. And give advice to that same person that's watched uh, 40 of your videos and, and is now their head is blown up. How, how, does, <laughs> how, does, he, how does he figure that out? <laughs> would say that again. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, you know, like advice to that brand new person who goes straight to your YouTube channel, watches yeah. all those videos. And then all of a sudden his head explodes because he's like, you know, again, analysis paralysis. How does he avoid right. that? Well, okay. So all I'll say is that if you if you go from the start to the finish of the course, it's built to walk you through an entire process. If you stop halfway through, you're not going to get to the end where where it sort of alleviates the analysis paralysis. By so by following the entire process, you you get to it in a more straightforward answer. So it's the only only by going through the entire process that you actually get rid of the analysis paralysis. That's my opinion. And my and that's just what I know from my own personal experience. Is there something to be said from for just buy a house and see what it does in a year? Joe, go. 
<laughs> go, Joe, buy a house and see what no, it I'm does. I'm just saying, oh, man. you know, at some, at some point you just got to grab your nuts and run with it. You know what I mean? Uh, and buy a house and just move on, you know, uh, and figure yeah. out you know, again. But again, you want to just buy a house and say, uh, flip a coin and say, hopefully this does well. <laughs> I, I think it's a dichotomy of both. It's like you got to have all the data, and then at some point you just have to jump headfirst in and trust that the data is going to work. And so yeah. it's like really leveraging both those at the same time because you're 100 percent right. Yeah, we got two different ends of the spectrum here of like yeah. totally all numbers, and we've got totally hey, just send it and it's going to happen. And it's like yeah. you got to have both of you find what works and you get comfortable with the numbers, and then you take that plunge. You go as hard as you can and you run with the ball and. Um, just make it happen. Well, what Fly I appreciate about this, about this discussion is that, you know, we are talking about very specific numbers and then we're also talking about enemy method. Um, you also have two seasoned, experienced investors in these markets that are agents and we have a professional educator to help folks manage, you know, so when you come to the short-term shop, you actually get all of those things and you, so you can have hard and fast numbers, you know, the air DNA data, and then you've got your experts here to, to help you massage, <laughs> massage your, your, your listings and your, and you know, your, your help you get through those questions and, you know, kick your butt out of that analysis paralysis. John, is there a particular bedroom size that uh, you find might work a little better in this market? I I did do that. Uh, I did break it up. Give me one second here. So the three bedrooms and the OBX, I believe, are the ones that I like the most. I'm just triple checking. Yeah. So three bedrooms, I saw a better consistency of performing uh, comparison to the four bedrooms, which is what I'm always curious about. Like, can a lower bedroom count, a smaller home, perform as well as a larger home because a larger home would be a little bit more expensive? And uh, the three bedrooms did seem pretty interesting. Uh, whereas the in the OBX, or sorry, that's Carolina Beach. So three bedrooms in Carolina Beach compared to the four bedrooms. In OBX, what I saw were that the three bedrooms were actually making quite a bit more than the two bedrooms. So I know I've I've talked about other markets where I'm like, hey, two bedrooms are doing you know better than threes. Like go for a two bedroom. But what I'm seeing is if I were to be in the OBX, I probably would start at a three bedroom um, just because of the difference. Or if I was deciding between a two or a three bedroom, I'd probably go for the three bedroom. That's what I saw. Are there many? Are there many uh, three bedrooms in Meg uh, in your market? It seems mostly bigger homes, doesn't it? No, we've got a pretty good mix. You know, the condos are going to be predominantly two, but you'll find three bedroom condos. Um, but the beach boxes, which I mean, they're probably more beach boxes than the, than the big vacation rentals, you know, all over a lot of those are going to, you know, you're going to start seeing more of those on the West side of the bypass, you know, kind of the slightly bigger houses are going to be on the, on the East side, but you can get, there are lots of opportunities for three bedrooms, uh, between the highways, um, between Corolla and Nagshead for sure. Absolutely. I like okay, three yeah, bedrooms that can operate like a four and then I can shove six families in there. So how do you do that? At bunk beds or what's the uh, strategy there? No, uh, mine are mainly like ADUs, additional dwelling units, things like that. But um, it, um, it has that when you purchase it or you put it in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have it when they purchase it. Oh, um, so they're very they common. The, eh, they're just, you got to look for them. They typically get listed as single family homes. And so you just have to have your eyes open. Mm-hmm. Oh, very interesting. All right. Anything we missed here? John, uh, you want to uh, cover or? Well, just one last thing I want to say that I always thoroughly love doing this with you, Luke, because like we're, we are totally complete opposite sides of the spectrum, but then it both works. Right. And so everyone, we always go, I feel like anyone who listens to this episode gets like both ends of the spectrum and one's like, Hey, just fucking dive in and make it happen. And the other person's (laughs) like, (laughs) to, you know, read through the data. I, and you're, you're, I think we're both right. You know what I mean? You have to, and you have to, you know, go through the data. 
Yeah, exactly. Pull the trigger eventually. I think that's what the yeah. best advice you can give. Different personalities, you know. It's, it's you're both right. I mean, but I'm definitely ready, fire, aim. You know, let's just let's yeah. shoot, the, yeah. shoot the gun and then f- figure out how to get it on target. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, you know, I, I can definitely benefit from from some some of your way of thinking. Hey, that's for hey, sure. Both ways, both ways for sure. Yeah. Now I need to pull the trigger a little bit more often, you know. So yeah, I, I got no problem with that. I'm uh, yeah. I'm out there rapid fire. Let's do this, but you know, so I'm the other way around. But uh, okay, cool. Well, listen, always a pleasure, uh, John, the uh, Airbnb data guy. Uh, Meg, you're wonderful and lovely as always. And Joe, uh, we'll see you guys uh, on episode. Joe's just here. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe, thanks for being there. Yeah, yeah, clown car. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, okay, great. So thanks, thanks for guys. hanging with us. Special yeah. episodes. Thank you. We'll see you soon. See you.